This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens yes. yes, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name is Elon Dubrovsky, and as always, I am joined by Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. Brian, I'm excited to be back recording another episode of Keeping Carlson. It's been a big week of fantasy hockey, and we once again have a number of players to talk about. But before we get to them, let's mention that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, your source for line combinations, starting goalies. Man, for starting goalies, we got some questions on Twitter yesterday. Should I start Kemper or should I start some other guy? I checked out Daily Faceoff. Backstrom was playing. So that was an easy choice. And I knew that because I went to Daily Faceoff to see. So definitely always check out Daily Faceoff when setting your lineup for the day. But Brian, enough about Daily Faceoff for now. We'll be referencing them throughout the episode. But let's get to our first fantasy hockey headline of the week. And this has been a headline that's been, I guess, many weeks in the making. Maybe about a month in the making. Because at this point, we can't ignore it anymore. The Buffalo Sabres are on fire. Who would have ever thought that I'd be saying that this year? But Buffalo has won seven of their last ten games. Jonas Enroth has been in net for nine of those games and for all seven wins. That's seven wins in nine starts for Jonas Enroth. And Enroth has been busy in these games. In three of them, he's had over 40 saves. He now has a 918 save percentage on the year. So, Brian, is Jonas Enroth now a goalie worth owning if he's still available in your league? Like, it's a goalie on the Sabres, which normally means absolutely not if you want to get wins. But the Sabres are winning now. Jonas Enroth is super hot. What do you say? Well, regardless of how good-looking Jonas Enroth is, yes, he has done quite well so far. He has a 932 even-strength save percentage this year, which is outstanding given the unspeakable badness of the Buffalo Sabres. Let me just put this into context for you, Elon. When we're looking at Corsi, like possession numbers, which have shown to correlate with winning games... You know, usually see teams with the best numbers could be up at, you know, 52, 53% of possession, and the really good teams are higher than that. And then the lower teams are, you know, 49, 48, 47% possession. And then below those, you've got the really weak teams at like 44, 45% possession. So this year, that's like Colorado, Calgary, Toronto, Columbus, Buffalo. Is it? 
36% in score-adjusted Corsi. You don't need to understand what those words mean. You just need to know that's bad. That is like eight points lower than the closest other NHL team. And again, like last year, these are like historically awful numbers. When people are putting together graphs to show team possession rates, they actually have to make one with Buffalo and one without Buffalo this year because it just skews the distribution so much. And if what I've been saying so far is all too technical, what I'm trying to say in simplest terms is that they're seeing way too many shots against relative to the amount of shots that they're putting on goal or at least attempting to put on goal. And in that environment, no goaltender can thrive, especially not Jonas Enroth, who put up a 9-11 save percentage last year. Maybe especially not Jonas Enroth was a little harsh on him, like he does seem to be at least an average NHL goaltender from his numbers so far. However, an average NHL goaltender in a desperately below average situation is not going to see success for very long, especially not wins. So that's going to be the first thing to disappear from his numbers. And then his save percentage is at 918 right now. I don't see it finishing the year above 915, 914. I mean, and that's that's optimistic. I think. So perhaps this is a sell high opportunity because going forward, he probably will ruin more of your weeks than he'll make. But Brian, I have to ask, because I'm sure many people are wondering the same thing. Like, fine, they're doing bad Corsi wise. But like I said, they've won seven of their past 10 games. Jonas Enroth is playing amazing. Like, how are they winning these games with such bad possession? Are you saying it's been all luck? Well, Elon, I'm not going to say that it's all luck. We shouldn't take away every ounce of credit from this very, very underprivileged and disadvantaged team. However, over the last month or so, which spans those seven wins out of ten games that you mentioned, their possession numbers are still god-awful. Like, they're, they're essentially the same as they have been throughout the rest of this season and last when they were losing the large, large majority of their games. I'm also looking at their PDO, which is an indication of how much shooting or saving luck they're seeing, and they rank in the top five or six teams in shooting percentage over that stretch. And of course, Enroth is really pumping up their save percentage at even strength. They actually have the best save percentage at even strength over the last month. So good for Enroth, good for Buffalo, not gonna last. They are at a 105 PDO that is going to regress down to 100. They're going to lose five points somewhere between their shooting percentage and save percentage. I expect the bulk of it to be from their save percentage. All right, so I guess you've heard it, people. Jonas Enroth, he seems like he's playing like Hashik, but Brian says don't expect the year to end like that. So if you have him, I guess it's a great opportunity to sell high. Maybe pick him up if he's a free agent and then try to trade him to someone who wasn't paying attention. But then when he gets the trade offer, he'll take a look and go, ooh, that guy is better than Tuka Rask. <laughs> I want to be in a league with that guy. <laughs> and before I leave the Sabres, though, I do want to mention some other standouts that might be worth looking at, or maybe you could tell me they're not worth looking at, because we earlier on in the season discussed how there's pretty much a nobody on the Sabres worth owning. But did you know that Tyler Ennis has 12 points in his last 12 games? No, no, I didn't. I knew that I'd seen his name regularly in box scores recently and thought, ah, something's going on. But 12 points in 12 games, not too shabby. I should mention that they have come in bunches. He had a few good games like three or four weeks ago, then he went on a stretch of doing nothing, but then recently he's on fire again. He had a three-assist game against Calgary earlier this week. But yeah, Tyler Ennis. Then there's also guys like Matt Molson and Zemgis Gergensens. Each have nine points in their last 12. 
Even Drew Stafford has been somewhat relevant lately. He's got six points in nine games. Brian, what do you think? Are any of these guys worth owning on people's fantasy rosters? Yeah, I think you can cycle them in and out. But for example, for Tyler Ennis to get three assists, Buffalo needs to score three goals. I can probably count on two hands how many times that's happened so far this season. And they're still far and away last in the league in goals per game played. They have less than two. That's awful. The next best is Carolina with just over two. Edmonton has almost half a goal more per game than Buffalo has. All that to say, good for those guys, but the goals aren't going to keep coming at enough of a volume, I don't think, for them to be really contributing fantasy guys, especially in shallow leagues. I don't think you need to pay attention to them. In deeper leagues, you can probably consider them for someone on your team who you've been waiting to break out and hasn't, or who started strong and has fallen off since. All right, let's move on to another team that hasn't been very good this season, but is currently on a hot streak. The Columbus Blue Jackets have won six games in a row. I'm sure just like with the Sabres and Enroth, it's due in large part to one Sergei Bobrovsky. But I don't want to talk about Bobrovsky. We all know that Bobrovsky is a valuable guy. Or maybe not. Brian, you could address that. I want to talk about some injuries and outjuries going on in Columbus because Scott Hartnell is gone. He injured his finger and is apparently going to be out a couple of weeks. But at pretty much the same time, Brandon Dubinsky is back and back to being a top six forward on Columbus. So Brian, I guess the question is, does Dubinsky's arrival negate Hartnell's injury in terms of there's not any extra player who's going to benefit? Well, Scott Hartnell, I think, was kind of gone before he got injured. He had a 10-game pointless drought. He was able to put a three-game point streak together before getting injured, but his shot rates had also fallen off. We had given him our congratulations earlier in the year for being up there in the leaders in the league in shots per 60 minutes, but he's fallen in with the rest of the pack. He's got 85 on the year, which is still pretty good, but he's not shooting at the same rate, and he's not scoring either goals or assists at the same rate he was at the start of the season. That made him very valuable. So not a big hit for Columbus, Although kind of because, I mean, he's still a body who's capable of scoring there. And the whole team was kind of in a really large rut for a while. Dubinsky coming back, I don't know if it negates it. I'm actually interested to see what comes from him. Because in New York, he was a, he was a pretty good contributor. He was a half point per game guy. And he was never really given a starring offensive role. He was kind of like a second line center, occasionally first line center but never with enough real deployment or offensive-minded deployment from his coach to make a huge difference. He's gotten that opportunity in Columbus. He's taken advantage of it so far with 70 points in just over 100 games as a Blue Jacket. So I expect that to kind of keep going. I know a lot of people really like him for his penalty minutes, which I assume he'll get. I was wondering if when he came back, he'd be a little cautious because he missed like two months of the season. Of course, he took his first fighting major of the season last night versus Pittsburgh. He's got seven shots on goal and two assists in three games so far. Those are good numbers, especially if your league counts penalty minutes. He's got nine of those. I don't know how much his appearance on the roster will turn around Columbus's fortunes, but for your fantasy team, he is not an insignificant addition if he's available in your league and you've got a spot to fill. And let me mention another couple of guys on Columbus who might be worth roster spots. One is probably taken in your league, but I think it's interesting to point out that Jack Johnson has really taken a stranglehold of the number one defenseman spot on the team. It used to be him and Wisniewski. I feel like last year at some points it was Wisniewski as the clear number one. 
But in yesterday's game against Pittsburgh, for example, Johnson played almost 30 minutes to Wisniewski's 23. Also, Johnson had the highest amount of power play time for any Columbus defenseman. He's also got a four-game point streak going. So in my opinion, it seems like Jack Johnson is someone who, if you have him, you should be very happy. And if you have Wisniewski, maybe you should be a little concerned. Yeah, Elon, we picked up Jack Johnson for our joint fantasy team, and he's done well for us so far. But I'm about to blow your mind here, because Johnson's numbers seem better than Wisniewski's so far this year. However, Wisniewski is the better player if you measure both by points per 60 minutes and by shots per 60 minutes. So he seems to be the more offensively inclined this season, despite his point totals. And maybe this is a bit of a personal thing coming on, because I've touted him as this unheralded number one defenseman in terms of production for like the last season for sure and beyond that not on the podcast because it didn't exist but I still did it in my own mind and in our conversations let's keep in mind that Wisniewski has hit 50 points or been on pace for 50 points in three of his last four years those are nearing elite numbers those are like Duncan Keith ish numbers so maybe someone souring in your league on Wisniewski I would not give up on him at this point. I would be pretty excited to add him to my roster. I wouldn't want to give up a whole lot for him, but he's still above a half point per game so far this year. I think he still could end up with 50 points. He's going to miss out on some of that power play time if Jack Johnson holds on and they do go with a four forward configuration through the rest of the year. Okay, sorry, actually, it's not a four forward configuration. I'm not sure where I got that idea. Jack Johnson has been playing with Wisniewski on that top unit or with David Savard. Lately, though, more Savard than Wisniewski. I don't think that's a matter for concern. Like I said, I'd still be happy to have Wisniewski on my fantasy team today. Not to take away from Jack Johnson, but if I had to choose one of the two, Elon, you're not going to like this, but I think I would still choose Wisniewski. Huh, well, Brian, you know, it's interesting. Like, I know you really love this stat of points per 60 minutes. For me, it's not as convincing as some of the other stats you use, just because at the end of the day, if Jack Johnson is getting more minutes, then even if Wisniewski gets more points per minute, overall, Jack Johnson still gets more points because he plays more. So I guess it seems like you're implying that if the coach realizes that Wisniewski is better, he'll give him more minutes and eventually he'll end up with more points. I would hope the coach of Columbus knows that James Wisniewski is better. Elon, if you don't want to put a lot of stock into the points per 60, I I understand because they need that ice time to fulfill that potential. But if you look at this year, they're on virtually the same point per game paces so far. And so if you want to do the tiebreak and look last season, like I said, Wisniewski had 51 points, Jack Johnson 33. Right. All right. Fair enough. You know what? Let's say they're even. No, (laughs) no, that's not what I'm saying. They're not even. Okay. Maybe we'll have to make a side bet. Right now, I like Jack Johnson's deployment more than Wisniewski's. Yes, I'll give you that. His deployment on that first power play unit, seeing most of the power play time, is certainly in his favor, and he'll need all the favor he can get to pass Wisniewski in points by the end of the season. All right, it'll be fun to see. All right, one more player I wanted to mention on Columbus before we move on. Boone Jenner has six points in his last six games. I don't really have much more to say about that, but he's on the power play. He's getting points. He's a free agent in our league, Brian. Just wanted to get your quick thoughts on him. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about him either. Last year was 
you know, fairly average, I suppose it would be the first season of what you could possibly expect to be an eventual 50 or 60 point player in the league. He's got a cool name, which I think makes people a lot more excited about him than they regularly should be. But this year, he's given fair reason. He's got six goals, six assists for 12 points and 18 games played, 52 shots. And I think one of the reasons a lot of people like him is his hits. He gets about three a game. So in leagues that count that in their peripherals, He's not an invaluable guy with the way he's producing so far. Yeah, also playing with Ryan Johansson. Can't hurt. And Elon, just to tie off this Columbus bit here, you mentioned Bobrovsky and you said we'll get to him later. Let's get to him now. And I just want to point out that during these six consecutive wins, these are his save percentages. 960, 946, 971, 905, 951, and 917. As you could hear... Those were like astronomical. You had four times that he stopped above 94.6% of the shots he faced. He stopped 917 once, which is still great. And then just one kind of lousy start. That was 905, but he only let up two goals. He stopped 52 shots in one of those games against Florida. He's not going to be able to keep that up all year, but it is nice to see him start to return to form. He was a 9.23 goaltender last year. I would hope for the same this year. He's certainly going to see a high volume of shots, referring back to score-adjusted Corsi. The Blue Jackets are also in the tank of the league. So he'll have the opportunity to prove himself. He's going to get peppered, hopefully for his owners. He continues putting up good save percentages because I don't see those wins continuing to come. Unless he can win the next 60 single-handedly, which I kind of just don't think he's going to be able to do on that Blue Jackets team. Well, if anyone could do it... It's Jonas Enroth. No, just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I would assume it's Bobrovsky, former Vesna <laughs> winner. And we mentioned that Dubinsky is outjured, which I think is a Keeping Carlson trademark term. A couple other outjuries to report. We Let's go to Pittsburgh. And Chris Letang is back after missing five games. And he's played two games since and has three goals. And actually looking at Letang's numbers on the year, in 24 games, he has 21 points. Did we snub Chris Letang Last week, Brian, when we were talking about the top five fantasy defensemen, we looked at Carlson, Subban, Giordano, Weber, and Hedman. We didn't mention Chris Letang, but this guy is also almost a point-per-game defenseman. You know, Elon, it didn't really occur to me until you asked me right now. I mean, he's had two seasons, maybe three in his NHL career so far that have given us reason to consider him like an offensive blue line stud. And a lot of that, of course, is because of his power play time with some of the best players or the best players in the NHL. I think this season will go a big way towards proving it. I know, you know, in the last couple of years in fantasy drafts, he used to go like immediately first or second round when the first defenseman taken. He's fallen off that because, well, last year he had 22 points in 37 games and it was a really frustrating year all around. This year, when the Penguins went and signed Erhoff in free agency, I think a lot of people discounted Latang's value going forward. That hasn't happened. The opposite has happened. Maybe he's getting a little bit of a push from Erhoff. Maybe he's just really healthy again. It's not like he ever had a bad season, really, in the last five years. But in terms of having a really elite-level fantasy production... He's only done it maybe twice, so we'll see what happens this year. 21 points in 24 games, 76 shots for a defenseman is fantastic. Yeah, I feel like at this point, the main concern with Latang isn't if he'll be able to put up points, it's just if he'll be able to stay healthy, and obviously he had not the most common of injuries, so I don't know what that says about 
his like uh, injury proneness. Like last year he had a stroke. I'd, I'd imagine that won't happen too often, or I hope not. But yeah, it'll be great to see if Latang could, you know, play every game for the rest of the season. And I'd imagine then he'll put up like 50, 60 points. If he can do that, then he enters the conversation along with James Wisniewski. <laughs> Come on, Brian. No, okay. Above James Wisniewski, but maybe not above Duncan Keith. Like, I still think he might be a tier below the guys we talked about last week until he proves otherwise, which maybe he will this season. Okay, and I guess I'll mention the other outjured player that I wanted to here. Zdeno Chara is back after that long time away. I remember a lot of people were very excited about Chara coming back. Not as much for Chara, but the Tuka Rask owners were saying, okay, finally now Boston could get back to winning. Finally now Rask could give me the elite goalie numbers I need. But it's been a couple of games and two losses for Boston. An assist for Chara yesterday, so there is that. But it doesn't seem like he has been, at least not yet, the answer to all of the Bruins' woes. Yeah, I am one of those Rask owners. I wasn't thinking Chara was going to come in and solve everything. I wasn't thinking that much, but I was hoping that Rask would win at least one of his two games this week. That did not happen, which was very frustrating for me. I'm encouraging other Rask owners to just hang in there. I still think everything's going to be okay, but now that Chara's back, there really aren't any excuses left for the Bruins. Not that Chara being out was a great excuse. He's really great at what he does, but he is also getting older. They can't be leaning on him anymore the way they have over the last five or six seasons. And I guess the other question with Chara back is how does that affect guys who maybe got a bit of a promotion in his absence, the Tory Krugs and the Dougie Hamiltons of the world? Do people need to be concerned about them being able to keep up what they've been doing? Well, I don't think anybody needs to be concerned that Krug will keep up what he's doing because he hasn't been doing very much. Only 10 points in 26 games so far this year. I think people are going to want him to do some more. And maybe the return of Chara will give him that opportunity to see a better deployment. I think he was asked to pick up a little bit more of the defensive slack than he's used to during the time that Chara was out. But he had 40 points last year with Chara on the ice, so hopefully he'll continue to get back on that pace, which he's fallen off of a bit so far this year. For Dougie Hamilton, I don't expect really anything to change. He's going to see the same minutes. He's just going to have a better defensive partner in Zdeno Chara. All right, yeah, well, I remember when Chara got injured, we were saying that Dougie Hamilton might get a boost, but it's nice to hear that if you did pick him up, you don't need to be dropping him right now. Hopefully he'll be able to keep up whatever he's been doing. Let's go to Ottawa now. We talked about the Sens last week, and we were saying how they might be becoming a team that you don't want to own players on. We did, though, highlight Mika Zibanejad, and we said if there's any player that might be available that you might want to look at, it's him. Right after that recording, he went on to score two goals and get two assists in the Sunday game. So anyone who grabbed him in time obviously got rewarded. Probably that didn't happen, unfortunately, but it made me feel good. Since then, Zibanejad is still doing well. The bigger news, though, out of Ottawa is that the coach has been fired. Paul McLean is gone. Dave Cameron is in. We've gotten some tweets and questions on our Facebook group asking, what's the deal now? Is this going to change things about Ottawa? Does a guy like Zibanejad now become a must-add since maybe he'll get more consistent deployment playing with Bobby Ryan, who's also doing really well? So Brian, what's your overall take on what fantasy owners do or not do now that this change of coaching has happened in Ottawa? I'm not sure it makes a big difference, and I'm not sure what the difference, if any, will be. 
he's a brand new coach in the NHL. We've seen him coach two games now for the Sens. They won one in a shootout against Boston. They lost to LA. And I haven't noticed anything significantly different during those games, except for the fact that the line shuffle seems to have slowed or stopped. And that's good news for Mika Zibanejad, who might hang on a line with Mike Hoffman and Bobby Ryan. If you were able to catch any of those Sens games, you would have seen how much fun that line is to watch and that there really seems to be, you know, this isn't a term we use often on the show, but there's some chemistry there. Things really seem to work out when the three of them are together on the ice. Bobby Ryan has seen his production go up a little bit too. Mike Hoffman has had good chances that he just hasn't finished on. I like that whole line right now. So if you want to take a stab at Mike Hoffman too, you can. But I think earlier this year we talked about Stone and Hoffman as potential depth adds to your team. Zubanejad is definitely ahead of those guys right now in terms of who I'd want. And then Hoffman probably comes next. Yeah, and I guess something that might not be fantasy relevant but still interesting to me, Chris Phillips was benched in Ottawa's last game. I feel like that must be for the first time maybe ever. I mean, I can't recall that ever happening. You know, he was being talked about as potentially the next captain of the Sens. They ended up giving it to Carlson. And now, I don't know, maybe with this coaching change, we might be almost done with the Chris Phillips era. Yeah, he still has a full season on contract after this one. And that was not smiled upon by a lot of close watching Sens fans. Same with Chris Neal. Chris Neal also sat out the last game I think this is a positive development for the Senators. It's not going to make a difference for your fantasy team. Although, perhaps, if they do spend more time out in the press box, which I don't think they will. I think this is going to be like a once or twice for the rest of the season kind of thing. Though, I I can't be sure. It could happen more. But any game that they are out gives a little bit more opportunity to actual players who are capable of scoring to get some ice time and scoring chances in. Yeah, I'll mention one. This is for the deepest of deep leagues, but Patrick Weirkoch? Weirkoch? Weirkoch. Weirkoch. He was actually looking like a potentially good guy to have. I think it was a couple of seasons ago now he was playing with Carlson and doing decently, but then all of a sudden he became completely unreliable because he'd get benched every second game. Here he was actually a healthy scratch for the past five games, but yesterday Weirkoch came back to play against Boston and he got 19 minutes of ice time, so maybe he's someone to look at again. Very deep leagues. Weirkosh was a guy flying way under the radar because he didn't have a lot of ice time. And here's where points per 60 comes in. He was in the top 30 in the league in points per 60, although he did see limited ice time. About half or close to half of most of the players who were in the top 30. But he was still there. He had shown flashes of ability to produce. And with Paul McLean, he never really got that shot to do it on a consistent basis. He is a guy, Elon, you're right. He's definitely worth watching. I don't know who sits. There are several guys I'd like to see sit in favor of Weirkosh. But, you know, depending on how the coach wants to set his lineup. But he is a guy, Elon, if he gets in to games regularly and starts being deployed in a way that is conducive to his production, and I think that he deserves, he deserves a chance to consistently show, he will be someone who will be on your fantasy radar by the end of this season. All right, the next headline is kind of like a headline that would have been good if we did a midweek episode, because Evander Kane got suspended and missed the first two games of the week. He came back yesterday for the Jets. Didn't do too much. Seven hits if you're in a league that counts hits, but no points, no shots. Also, he came back to play on the third line on the Jets, which was surprising to me. I guess they didn't want to break up the second line of Matthew Perot, Michael Froelich, and Mark Shifley. And Brian, you've been talking a lot about Matthew Perot over the past week, telling me how you like what you're seeing. So give me your take on who of all these people you think will go up and go down 
in Winnipeg over the next little while. Now that Kane's back, I expect him to take his spot back with Michael Froelich and Mathieu Perrault, and I would assume that Mark Scheifele is the one who gets bumped down to a very unproductive third line. I think it's Adam Lowry and Matt Halishuk, neither of them particularly known for their scoring. So Scheifele's value this year is not as high as I think we'd hoped, Elon. We thought that he would get a chance to start producing on a regular basis. He's not going to on that third line and probably doesn't deserve to be on your team as long as he's there. But let's talk about that second line center for a minute. Matthew Perrault, who, like you said, I I hyped up on Twitter just after we recorded the last episode. We talked about him on our patron cast this week. And all signs point to him being a very strong player. And what's better than signs pointing to you being a strong player is also having had a very understated and, well, underwhelming season to date. Perrault has just 12 points in 30 games played. But he does have six of those points in his last six games. And he is playing with Evander Kane. He did score without Evander Kane on his line. And his shooting percentage is about half of what it is over the course of his career. He's a very efficient shooter over his career, shooting almost 16%. This year, he's just at 7%. And his on-ice shooting percentage has also been low. I really, really like him right now as an ad in deep leagues. We've talked a couple times about how I added Thomas Jerko the other week. I'm waiting for the right moment to swap him out for Matthew Perot. It might work, it might not, but as long as Perot is centering Evander Kane, I don't see how that could go wrong for him. Well, in that case, we really need to watch these Winnipeg lines because, like I mentioned, Evander Kane didn't play with either of those guys in the last game. But I guess you're saying you're pretty confident Kane comes back and plays with either a center, that is Matthew Perot, or maybe Mark Shifley. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think maybe that was a first game back kind of thing. And they did also lose 4-1, to one, so perhaps Kane does get his old spot back after that didn't work out so well. Yeah, well, I hope so. I'm an owner of Evander Kane in both of my pools. I remember I drafted him last year early and then kept him this year as a keeper. I loved his shots on goal, which is a stat in my league. And also, of course, when someone has a lot of shots, it's more chances to score. So far, he still hasn't really panned out. There's a few games every now and then that he is like fantastic. It's a lot of shots, a goal, some points. But there's also been a lot of games where he does nothing. I would love for Evander Kane to finally break out. No more suspensions, no more injuries. Let's just do this, Evander Kane. I hope he becomes our fantasy darling the way we expected him to. Good segue, Brian, because I wanted to talk about Scott Darling. Who would have thought that when Corey Crawford got injured, it would be Scott Darling getting the bulk of the starts in his absence? It's been four games in a row now that Darling has played. Three of those were wins. Yesterday, he didn't win, but it was a good game still against the Islanders. It looks like today Ranta's going to get the start against Calgary, but with Crawford's return imminent, is Scott Darling going to be the one who stays on the team as Chicago's backup, or is Ranta's position safe and Darling will go back to the minors? You said who would have guessed, Elon? I kind of guessed. I'm not going to take full credit, but I'm going to take like 60% credit. I dropped Salmon for Darling, remembering that the last time Crawford missed time, Darling was called up and started as much or more than Ranta, and I thought perhaps the same thing could happen again. It's a very curious way the Blackhawks are playing it, and I have a couple theories on it, but I don't know if they're relevant to your fantasy lineup, so I'm not going to share them at the moment. But I think what's important to note for your fantasy team is that Darling will be the guy who gets sent back down to the AHL Ranta will stay up there to spell Crawford, give him a rest every now and then. Ranta is definitely the Blackhawks' NHL backup. 
I think perhaps Darling might be getting extra playing time because the Blackhawks know they have three good goalies and maybe they want to make sure they get a chance to showcase each one to see what they have within their organization and also show other teams around the league what they might have in terms of trade value. I would encourage anybody who has Darling on their roster right now to put him in an IR plus spot if you can. So don't just dump him, wait till he gets sent down given NA status, not active, and then move him into an IR plus spot or an NA spot on your roster so that if this happens again, you don't need to waste a roster move or worry that someone else is going to grab him first. He's proven himself as being a great goalie for the Blackhawks, which is different than being a great NHL goalie. We won't really know until he plays on a weaker team because he got some wins, but Chicago is on like an eight-game winning streak and they're the Blackhawks, and that's going to happen. I could play nets for the Blackhawks some nights probably, But Scott Darling is a lot better than me. He's good for your fantasy team. Hang on to him if you can, but he's not going to do a lot for you once Crawford comes back. And with that, we're through with the Headlines of the Week segment of the show. We still have a number of very interesting players of note that I'm looking forward to discussing. Before we get to that, let's take a minute to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. We really appreciate everyone who has signed up to become a patron They give us a small donation every month, like $5, and in exchange, they're getting some fun rewards, like being able to join the patron-only Facebook group, where we're always discussing different fantasy hockey questions, giving advice to each other. It's a good time. Also, we just recorded our second patron cast last Wednesday. It was a lot of fun, and we talked about some of the players we talked about this week, and obviously a bunch more. Basically, we were just answering any questions that any of the patrons had live on the patron cast. I won't say much more about that this week, but let me just thank specifically John Mallory and Darian Sweeney for signing up to be patrons this week. And I encourage anyone who's interested in signing up to check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. The Facebook group is a lot of fun. Actually, I just made a bet versus a rival Brian about whether Sean Monahan or Jordan Eberle is going to get more points for the rest of the season. I took Eberly. I'm hoping it works out. We do have the terms of the bet settled, and I look forward to winning that one because that Pavelski-Stasny one is not looking good. I need to recover. So sorry, Brian, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to win this one. Yeah, Brian really loves Sean Monaghan, and why not? Let's just quickly mention he's got 20 points in 31 games so far, which is very respectable for such a young guy, and he's also getting top-line minutes on Calgary, so definitely someone that people should be keeping their eye on. But I feel like Jordan Eberle, who has similar point totals right now, he's the proven superstar, and I'm very confident that Eberle's the one who's going to be able to do better than this pace, while Monaghan, it would be great if he could just sustain this pace. Anyway, keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to join in. You don't have to make bets with me, but you can. (laughs) All right, Brian, players of note time. I feel like we talk about St. Louis players every week, and the reason is they have so many fantasy-relevant players. And one guy who we get asked about a lot, not in a good way, not like the STL line, but... TJ Oshie has had a pretty weak season. Obviously, he was drafted pretty high in most drafts because of his pedigree. Brian, what do you think about TJ Oshie right now? Answer all the questions. There have been a lot of them, a lot of like trade offers involving him where he's had a really slow start this season, but now he's coming on. 
He has 28 shots on goal in his last eight games, and that actually accounts for 52%, more than half of his total shot count on the season. That's a good sign. His points are starting to come with those shots. He's picked up six in his last four games, including three on the power play and, coincidentally, two game winners. I don't like game winning goals, although last night's was a true game winner scored in overtime against Colorado. He's a 50-60 point guy who seems to have a reputation for peripherals, but he actually doesn't do uh, much in, in hits and blocks and penalty minutes. So if that said, if you're looking for a 50-60 point guy, he's probably a free agent in a few leagues right now after impatient owners dropped him when he put up just 6 points in 25 shots on goal in his first 15 games played. And what might be happening is the time has probably come for that first line in St. Louis that features Oshie, Bacchus, and Steen to finally do their part in the team's production, not leaving it all to Schwartz, Lettera, and Tarasenko. And all three of those players on that top line are showing fantastic life over the recent stretch of games. You might want to try to buy low on Oshi, or you can add him to your team if he's a free agent for somebody who's probably like a 40-point, 45-point guy at best. And yeah, I guess speaking of that STL line, they are still doing well, though if there is one player to be concerned about, it would be Jaden Schwartz, only four points in his last 10 games. And yeah, at this point, I think I'd rather have Oshi than Schwartz. Is that crazy, Brian? No, not crazy. I would too. I think I honestly downplayed him a lot at the beginning of the season when people were asking, saying, you know, he's not who you think he is. And that still kind of stands because, like I said, he has this reputation for getting peripherals that I'm not sure he's quite earned. But I'm a little higher on him right now, even though his numbers are still low. I think now's a good time to try him out. Take him for a test run. And speaking of taking players for a test run, there's one guy who is probably a free agent in almost everyone's leagues who's listening, but someone who used to be a guy who was always drafted. So, Brian, is it time to take Thomas Fleischman for a test run? He's finally starting to put up points. The emphasis there would be on test, but sure, yeah. He was a fantasy stalwart for a few seasons, and then he was hugely disappointing last year, getting a piddly 28 points in 80 games in Florida last year. This year was looking to be more of the same after he scored just one goal and one assist. That's all, after 18 games. But as we've mentioned so many times already this season, there's something happening in Florida, and it's kind of exciting. And Fleischman, whose name you'd think we would have said in all the times we've mentioned Florida and we haven't so far, he's getting in on the action. He just came off a four-game point streak where he picked up two goals and three assists for five points in four games. He's still shooting the puck, though still struggling to see it go in. You'll remember when we talked about his struggles last year on the show, his shooting percentage was a big concern. It was barely one-third of his career number. And I, was, I kept being like, no, it's going to go up, it's going to go up. And you were like, no, his ice time still keeps going down, still keeps going down. Right now, his ice time has gone up. He's fighting to stay on that top line in Florida alongside Johnny Huberdeau and Nick Bjugstad. And he's also seeing his responsibilities on the power play creep up over the last five or six games. I think he's a really good add in a cycled roster spot right now or as a replacement for a guy who's fallen off in a deep league. I actually, I think I'm going to have to decide between him and Mathieu Perrault at one point. I have this thing for Jets, right? And I've traded like three away this season. So I might have to replenish my stock of Jets, but Fleischman is giving me good reason to think about adding somebody other than Perrault. Yeah, I'd love for a guy like Fleischman to become relevant again. It's always sad when someone who really seemed like a good guy just completely falls off. And that's what happened here. Kind of like Stephen Weiss, who 
we talked about last week as maybe being someone to add. Since then, things haven't gone so well. No points since we last mentioned him, and now he's injured. But another guy who is currently a free agent, kind of the opposite of Fleischman, who you'd expect to be there right now. But there's a guy who was dropped in our league recently and still hasn't been picked up for a couple of weeks, which to me is kind of crazy, or maybe not. Why is Yarmir Yager a free agent? And Brian, why haven't we just snapped him up right away? Well, we haven't grabbed him because over the last seven games, he's hit the score sheet just twice. He's still shooting. He's still seeing half of his team's power play time. He had 67 points last year, and that's still often overlooked. But I wonder if he's slowing down for good this year, although I admittedly have a bad record saying that. I've said the same thing about Martin St. Louis for like three years now, and, well, you see the evidence. He's still going. So maybe Yager can too. He'll still get plenty of opportunity in New Jersey, but in leagues that aren't terribly deep, it may be worth reevaluating whether he belongs on your roster if he's already there or if there are equal or better options in free agency when you're looking. Last year, I'd be really excited to have him. At the beginning of this year, I'd be really excited to have him. I'd be moderately excited to have him right now. I think right now I've entered into a bit of a wait-and-see period about him. This could just be a little bit of a slump. He was dealing with that injury. He was hit in the head, and, you know, that can have lingering effects, especially if he was rushed back before he should have been, which would be very... Very unfortunate for somebody at his age. I think he's someone to keep an eye on, especially if he is available in your league. I wouldn't hit the button. I wouldn't add him reflexively. I'd wait for him to show a few more signs of life and then make your decision. All right, and Brian, I guess we're nearing the end of the show, but we got to hit some of our key points. Give us the lightning round, then give us the snoozers. First player on this week's lightning round is Michael Grabner. We have not heard that name in a while. Maybe... Last year, at the beginning of last season, we called him a snoozer in, like, November. But so far this year, he missed a lot due to injury. He's back. He has two goals on seven shots in five games played this season. Small sample size, so we're not even going to talk about that the percentages are a little wonky. And he's probably not much to really consider in most leagues. But please remember that Grabner had three great consecutive goal-scoring seasons. In fact, between 2010 and 2013... He was fourth in the entire NHL in goals per 60 minutes, but then he fell off with that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season last year where he saw a downtick in his shot on goal totals and bad luck in his shooting percentages. He's probably the ninth best forward on the Islanders, judging by the fact that they have eight others playing on power play one and power play two units ahead of him. But the positive is that he's on a line this year with Anders Lee and Brock Nelson, All three are sometimes productive players. All three are worth watching at the very least. You should know that Grabner is back and playing on a decent line and that he was really good at one point. We'll see what happens for the rest of the season. And now you had a couple of goalies you wanted to mention? Yeah, a few goalies just quickly. We're going to do these like super lightning. Michael Hutchinson continues to see playing time because, as we knew, Andre Pavlik has regressed significantly. Just two starts that have been above an 893 save percentage in his last five. And of course, Hutchinson is the beneficiary. I think he's really stepping into a 1B role at the very least at this point. We mentioned a couple weeks ago how he's getting a much greater share of time between the pipes for the Jets in the split between him and Pavlik. Now, he is also a candidate for aggression. He's not going to keep up a 941 save percentage all season. And two of his last three starts, in fact, have been 909 and 900 in terms of what he's saved. But he's still done well enough to win several games for the Jets. 
I don't know where he settles in. I'm going to assume like league average, like 915, 917, which is a big drop from where he is now. So if you're one of his owners, you should be excited. You might want to consider selling high. I sold high on him because the future is just a little uncertain. If you're desperate for saves and ice time, then adding him to your team is going to help you. But if, say, he's like your third or fourth goalie right now, you might want to check around and see if there are any desperate goalie owners who see that 941 and get really excited and throw you one or two great players in return. Another backup who maybe should have challenged because he was given the opportunity this year in Dallas but was unable to do so was Anders Lindback. Well, Brian, we talked about him last week as being gone and sent to the minors. He is in the minors, and that's why I'm talking about him, because he had an 861 save percentage in five appearances with Dallas so far this season. Terrible numbers. In five appearances in the AHL, he has a 946 save percentage. I'm not saying that he's going to keep that up in the NHL, but I am wondering if perhaps he's going to find his game just a little bit in the AHL, come back and be able to handle somewhat of a workload. He's not going to see like some magic happen where he suddenly becomes a more talented goalie. But here's one of those times where I'm going to speculate in a goaltender's confidence and faith in himself and his own abilities and think that maybe Lindback gains some confidence from his time in the AHL, comes back to the NHL, and is able to push Lettinen just a little harder for that number one spot in Dallas. I don't see him ever winning that number one spot in Dallas. I still think it was a weird signing for them to add him as their backup, but he is on maybe a road to recovery. Let's call it that. And we'll just leave the door open to him having a little more success in the NHL when he does get the call back up, because he will soon. UC Rhinus will go back down to Texas. All right, you heard it here first. Let's get on to the snoozers section of the podcast. These are players who Brian thinks you might have on your roster still, but it's time to maybe let go. You might not realize that you're not sleeping, you're snoozing. Well, I think all three Minnesota Wild centers have been candidates for being a snoozer at some point this season. I'm actually going to start Elon. I'm going to go a little off to the side here and talk about Miku Koivu. Let me be clear, he is not the snoozer. He is the exception among Minnesota centermen. Something weird has been going on all year with Koivu, Granlund, and Coyle. You have a near-elite Koivu and two expected breakout seasons in Coyle and Granlund, and nothing had been materializing. But finally, there's been some good news down the middle. Miku Koivu is rolling in his last nine games. He scored three goals and six helpers for a point-per-game pace. That only brings him up to about half a point per game on the year, but perhaps he begins to put up numbers closer to his three quarters of a point per game pace that we've come to expect from him over the last six or seven years. He's been doing this for a long time, so I hope you didn't get too down on him after a poor 15 or 20 games. He might be available in your league if somebody else got down on him. If he is available, you need to grab him. But that's not the point of this snoozer segment. We're trying to figure out who we're going to drop, who is the dead weight on your team. There's no hope in the near future. And I'm going to give that honor, so to speak, to another Minnesota Wild centerman named Michael Granlund, or Mikhail Granlund, depending on how faithful you want to be to his native language. He has done nothing with the 18 to 20 minutes a game he's been given alongside Zach Parise and Thomas Vanek on the first line. And he also hasn't done anything with the power play time he's received. He's just 12 points in 28 games this year. That's a huge disappointment, especially after the way that he finished last season. 
He's not a huge shooter on his best days, but in his last 13 outings, there's only been one game where he's put more than a single shot on net. Pair that with near zero and very inconsistent point production, and he is not worth having on your roster. Stop snoozing. I'm Michael Granlund. So if you had Granlund, would you drop him for either Perot or Fleischman? Is this the kind of move you're talking about making? Yes, you've been listening. I would absolutely drop Granlund for either of those two guys. All right, and who's your last snoozer of the week? Alex Killorn, just two assists in his last seven games, only six shots on goal in that time. He's been off the Stamkos and Callahan line for a while now, replaced there by Valtteri Filpula. He's probably not worth a roster spot in most leagues until he is again, because he tends to bounce up and down around the lineup. But during that time, he also bounces to and from free agency. Now is the time to bounce him to free agency. Well, he is playing with uh, Johnson and Kucherov, so not horrible line mates. Yeah, he's been filling in there for Palat, although now we're seeing that Palat is probably an important part of that line, because Kalorn is not stepping into his production on that line, even though he is there in body. (laughs) Yeah, well, Palat's injury is supposed to be short-term. We should probably see him back next week. Great job, Brian. I feel like you've given people a lot of things to think about, about players they might need to drop from their roster, people they might be thinking about picking up. You know, last week we had a lot of people message us saying that after they listened to the episode, they dropped John Klingberg and picked up Aaron Ekblad. And I think that was a great move by a lot of people. And we love to hear the moves you make after listening to our podcast. It makes me a bit nervous because I'm always worried that, oh, I hope we didn't blow up this person's fantasy team. But I think that's a great move. I'm really excited to see how things work out with some of the players we've talked about this week. And if you want to be in touch with us, you could follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Brian's tweeting up a storm, giving advice and analysis all throughout the week. Plus, we like to be interactive, so you could tweet at us asking your fantasy hockey questions. We'll get back to you, and hopefully together we'll all win our hockey pools this year. The Keeping Carlson conglomerate of fantasy pool winners. Also, if you especially enjoyed the show and you want to do us a favor, we'd really appreciate it if you would head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That's a great way to add some visibility to our show without having to tell your friends. We don't want you to go to the people in your league and say, hey, check out Keeping Carlson. We know that would be disastrous because then all the moves you plan to make, other people might make first. But you go over to iTunes, you leave a little anonymous five-star review, everybody wins. Elon, just quickly, before you say start rolling those credits, there's some breaking news. Jeremy Morin traded from Chicago to Columbus. Tim Erickson goes the other way to Chicago. I think this is an interesting trade. Just off the top of my head, we're just seeing this now for both teams. Tim Erickson will have another fresh start on a very strong offensive team, though, in Chicago. And Jeremy Morin, who has kind of been a little bit vocal lately about how he doesn't feel he's getting the right opportunities to produce in Chicago, he's going to get a chance now in Columbus. You can see I actually just retweeted something about his shooting percentage and his on-ice shooting percentage. They've been weak. He could see a little bit of an uptick. He's worth watching for value. That's my very quick and dirty analysis. Well, up to the minute news, even though I guess we're recording this now, it won't be posted till tonight, so then it won't be so up to the minute. But if you followed our Twitter, it would have been. Brian, like you said, let's cue that outro music and give us the credits. Okay, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons over at keepingcarlson.com. Patron. It was researched with help from WarOnIce.com, Puckalytics, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. 
Thanks, Brian, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back at you with another episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl signed.